Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Oh, it's great to be together again to open up God's Word and study a little bit further, dig a little bit deeper, try to come to a better understanding of how, how He has communicated His will to us, how He wants us to live, but also come to a better grasp of all the blessings that He offers us if we will come to Him following his teachings and being faithful and obedient to those teachings. You know, God loves you. He does. John 3 and verse 16, perhaps the most familiar verse in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh yes, God loves you. He wants you to be with him for all of eternity. You see, he created you in his image, Genesis chapter 1 and verses, uh, verses 26 and 27. In, in creating you in his image, he created you with a spiritual being within your physical body. You have a spiritual essence, you alone, uniquely so from all else that God created, are able to understand the very concepts of right and wrong, good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness, and even the concept of God, God being your creator, your heavenly father. Oh, how God has made you so special. He loves you. He wants you to be with him for all of eternity. Here in Search the Scriptures, we try to help you, again, come to a better understanding of your relationship with God and his relationship with you and how he wants you to walk with him in faithful obedience. You know, Jesus came into this world in physical form. Now, he was still fully divine, but he was also fully human. And so the Hebrews writer tells us that he still, even he, went through the process of learning obedience. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And then the next verse goes on, that's an example for us, that we need to learn obedience to God's teachings, to God's will. The next verse tells us, and having been perfected, he became the author or source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We want to help you get to heaven. We want to help you come to understand what God wants you to do in order to live obediently before him and to walk with him in consistent, faithful obedience. He loves you so much. We want to help you get to be with him for all of eternity in heaven. We encourage you to share these short studies with everybody you can. Tell them about Search the Scriptures. Encourage them to listen on a regular basis. Now, we also want to encourage you to come and be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha. But if you're living outside of this area, or maybe you're simply having some difficulty being able to tune in at the correct times, even though we're on several times a day on two different stations, we, we want to encourage you go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Scroll down the homepage to our podcast link, click on that. Now that is always free it always will be free. Click on that and you can sign up in about one minute for our podcasting. When you do that, 
you will automatically receive all of these radio programs to your smart device, whichever one you choose. Your smartphone, your computer, your laptop, your pad, your tablet, whatever it might be. Automatically, all of these programs will go there on a daily basis. But you'll also receive all of our sermons, all of our Sunday morning and Wednesday night Bible classes, and a great short, about a 12 or 13 minute Bible study each day that we call today's Bible class. All of that will be there free and automatic. So you take advantage of that and encourage your friends and your family members and your work associates and your neighbors and anybody and everybody you can to take advantage of that. We encourage you to do so. You may help somebody get to heaven. I want us to begin a new line of study today. I want to talk about something that is on the mind and has been on the mind of people in every generation, every year, in fact. There are people who wonder, why would God want to save someone like me? Many people think, I'm, I'm just too bad to be good. Or maybe I have been too bad for too long to be good. I have done such terrible things. Now, maybe they're thinking of one particular sinful behavior that they took part in on one occasion, or maybe they're talking about they lived a lifestyle of such sinfulness for such a long period of time that they just think, surely I cannot be forgiven. God would not want to forgive me. God would not want me to be with him. I'm too bad to be good. Why would God want to save someone like me? Well, many people think they're in a condition of simply being unforgivable. I have run into people like that, spoken to people like that. It's difficult for many people to believe that God would forgive them, them in particular, after living the life that they have lived, and maybe that they're living right at that particular time. You know, the scriptures talk about how we can condition our conscience to be unfeeling when it comes to doing things that we know, even before we take part in them, that they're wrong. I mean, realistically, logically, reasonably, we know they're wrong, but we do them anyway. And over a period of time, we can condition our conscience to be unfeeling, basically to be seared over, as the Apostle Paul puts it, as with a hot iron. In other words, calloused, no feeling there. And that becomes a handicap for us because God has designed us emotionally with a conscience. But if we condition our conscience to be unfeeling when it comes to sinfulness and ungodliness, as we take part in those kinds of negative behaviors in our life, then we handicap ourselves against the opportunity, the understanding, the ability to be able to learn and then respond in a positive way to righteous teachings from God's word. I remember a young man came into my office one day many, many, many years ago, decades ago, in fact. I had never seen him before. He was a young man who looked quite rough, as far as physique is concerned, he looked very strong, 
looked like he, and he carried himself in such a way that he looked like a really tough guy. He came in and he sat down. He had never met me. I don't think he had ever heard of me before. But he saw the church building probably, and he took a chance to just come in and sit down and try to visit with me. He had been in a relationship with a, with a woman, a girlfriend, and I think she had basically broken that relationship. And I guess she had communicated to him her feeling that she just did not feel loved by him. And he came in and he sat down and he said, you know, I'm not sure I understand what love is. How sad that an individual would allow himself through his own behaviors, through his own mindset, through his own practices, to devolve emotionally into a state of not being sure that he even knows what love is. Much less, how does he show that? How does he love an individual whom he supposedly cares for? He told me more about his life story, and I understood better why he could be in that particular condition. He had lived a very rough life, a very evil, sinful, corrupt life. And all of that, having lived that kind of lifestyle for so long, had conditioned himself emotionally to be very callous, to be very hard and hard-hearted. And he was at the point where he was not even sure he understood what love was. But that's just one example. There are people who continually do things that are evil, wicked, ungodly, hurtful to other people, but it does not bother them whatsoever because they've conditioned their conscience to not have any feeling along those lines. Now somebody might say, yeah, that's me. I've done such terrible things. I've lived such an ungodly life. I've been so disrespectful of God. I've hurt so many people. I have cheated, I've stolen, I've beaten people up. Some people might even think or, or say, I've killed people. I, I, how could God forgive me? Why would God want to, for, want to save someone like me? Well, because he loves you. But let me assure, let me assure you that not only can, can God forgive you, but God wants to forgive you. And I'm not just saying that as a natural line that a preacher would put out there. I'm talking about from the scriptures. Not only can God forgive you, but God wants to forgive you. And I want to assure you of that. Both points. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14, we, we find God at the point of fulfilling a promise and prophecy to Abraham and Sarah. When you go back to Genesis chapter 12, God told Abram at that time as he was named, God later changed his name to Abraham. His wife at that time was Sarai. God later changed her name to Sarah. And so most of the time, when we are thinking of those two individuals, we think of them from that changed name status of Abraham and Sarah. And so I'll refer to them in that way. 
So in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham to leave his father's house and to go to a land that he would show him. He does not tell him what land that would be. And he makes a prophecy to Abraham, but also within that prophecy is a promise. And he says, I will bless you and make your name great. And through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that was a prophecy that through Abraham's bloodline, the Savior would come into the world, Jesus Christ. But now there was a promise within that prophecy. And the promise was that I'm going to give you a son or a child. Now that promise was very important and very significant because until that time in their marriage, Abraham and Sarah had no children. Now also, at that particular point in their lives, Abraham was 75 years old, and Sarah was 65 years old, and she was barren. But God said, through you, all the families of the earth would be blessed. We can go back and trace the bloodline of Jesus Christ from a physical, biological perspective all the way back to Abraham. So God fulfilled his promise, or his prophecy. But again, within that prophecy was the promise that Abraham and Sarah would have at least one child through whose bloodline the Savior would ultimately come into the world in physical form. But Sarah was 65 years old. She was barren. Abraham was 75 years old. But God believed uh, rather, but Abraham believed God, and he did what God told him to do. But years went by. Sarah still did not conceive. There still had not been a child born to them. And so Abraham's faith, or at least there were some doubts that was there, that kind of generated, look, and, and he confronted God. Look, it's been years since you told me this, since you gave me this prophecy and within the prophecy a promise. We still have no children. How many years went by? Five years? Ten years? Now remember, Abraham was 75 when God made this prophecy and within the prophecy a promise. Sarah was 65. Well, now she was 75. Abraham was 85. Five more years went by. Abraham was 90. Sarah was, was 80. Five more years went by. Sarah was 85 years old. Abraham was 95 years old. And then five more years went by. And Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. And in Genesis chapter 18, God renewed or reemphasized or maybe we should simply say God finalized the promise that you will have a child. You're going to have a son. It'll be the son of promise through whose bloodline the Savior will come into the world. And God told Abraham, Sarah's going to conceive and she's going to bear this son. This is the time. What? I'm, 80, I'm 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. We have no children. 
according to your promise and prophecy. And now when I'm 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old, you say we're going to have a child? The verse says, the text says in, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So from a purely physical perspective, there was no way Abraham and Sarah could have that son of promise on their own, simply by biological means. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, that is my husband, being old also? Oh, interesting. God renews. God really comes back and says, Okay, this is the time, finalizing that promise within the prophecy. You're going to have this son now. The one I promised you way back 25 years ago, when Sarah was already barren, 65 years old, and you were 75 years old. Now, now that she's 90 and you're 100, I'm going to fulfill that promise. You see, there was no way that Abraham and Sarah could possibly think, we did this on our own. It was purely by our means our working, our doing it through our conception, all by ourselves. Oh no, she was well past the age of childbearing. She had always been barren since being married to Abraham, and he was a hundred years old. But God blessed them with the son. But Sarah laughed when she heard about it. Now? 25 years later, we've been waiting 25 years, and now you're saying, now that I'm 90 years old? Well, she laughed. In verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? And then here's the point that I really want to focus in on. You think you're too bad to be good? You think God would not want to save someone like you? Verse 14 of Genesis chapter 18, is anything too hard for the Lord? God asks Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is understood. No, nothing is too hard for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And just as God had promised, and at the time God designated, Sarah bore that son of promise to Abraham before God. Isaac was his name. And through Isaac's bloodline, Jesus Christ came into this world in physical form. Just as God had prophesied 25 years before. But the point is, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, if God could bless Abraham, 100 years old, and Sarah, 90 years old, with a child, you think God could not save you? No matter how bad you, you think you've been? In Job 42, in verses 1 and 2, and Job, we talk about Job's patience 
And what we're really talking about is Job's faithfulness to God. He broke out with sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, and that was at the devil's devising. The devil was trying to break Job down. The devil challenged God that he could win Joel's soul over, that Job would ultimately curse God and die if God would let the devil work on him in his own way. God said, go ahead, but you can't take his life. And so these grievous sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, Job was in agony. And not only that, but three supposed friends came along and they kept hammering and hammering and hammering Job, insisting, you need to come clean. You obviously are a great sinner. You've done something horrible, and that's why this has happened to you. Because you see, that was the superstitious belief of that day and that culture. And Job kept saying, no, I, 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 I'm not guilty. I don't know why this has happened, but I'm not guilty. But, God never cursed, but Job never cursed God. But he did question, I don't know why God is letting this happen to me. And then finally, at the end of the book of Job, God confronts Job personally. So I think we see Job's, you know, his, his faith may be weakening a little bit in that, now not to the point that he ever denies God, that he ever curses God, that he ever turns away from God, that he ever stops believing in God. He still loves God. He just keeps voicing, I don't understand why God is letting this happen to me. And God finally steps in personally with Job and starts asking him all kinds of questions relating to God's power and his creation. He starts asking him, were you there when I did such and such? Can you do such and such that, whom I create, that I created? And of course, can you just imagine Job standing there or sitting there and kind of the blood draining from his face? He's being confronted by God. He recognizes, he recognizes his having been out of line in questioning God. And maybe he's just wishing God, please just uh, let me apologize. Let me, let me just sit down now. <laughs> I got the message. But then in verses 1 and 2 of Job 42, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. In other words, whatever is your will, if that is what you are going to say, I will make this happen, remember God told Abraham, I will give you this son of promise through your wife, Sarah, through whose bloodline the Savior will come into the world. And he did exactly that. And so Job says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Whatever you say will be. And nobody and no thing, no force can stop that from being if that is what you say will happen. Why would God want to save someone like you? Well, because he wants you to be with him in heaven, because he loves you. Let's stop 
and pray, and we'll continue this study next time. Father in heaven, help us to recognize that you do love us, and help us to set aside from our minds the doubt that the devil plants there saying, God doesn't want you. God won't forgive you. You've been too bad to be good. You've been too wicked to be forgiven. Help us to put that out of our thinking and to recognize, Father, and admit that you love us and you do want to save us and guide us to come to you in the ways you would have us to so that we can take hold of that blessing, eternal life with you in heaven. We pray for your forgiveness, gracious Father. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.